Well, though college football kicked off yesterday, one year ago from today, one year ago from today, the 2021 college football season kicked off, and a game that was probably not on your radar was the Rice Owls at the Arkansas Razorbacks. Anybody remember tuning into that one? Uh, any Whoopie Suey fans in here? We got, a couple, we got a couple. Any Rice Owls? Like, what's their cheer? You ever thought about that? Like, <laughs> that's good. You, I mean, you're on the cheerleading team for the Rice right now. And in, uh, in that game, quarterback K.J. Jefferson was making his second start for the Razorbacks, and there were already some questions kind of surrounding if he was ready to take on this job, and the first half did not go well. He was 4 of 11 for 21 yards, and if you don't know much about, about quarterback stats, that's really bad. For, and, and Arkansas was losing to Rice 10 to 7 at halftime. Well, he came back out, and they, they managed to find a way to win, but it was kind of one of those ugly wins. If, you've ever, if you're a fan of a team and your team's ever had kind of one of those ugly wins, and the questions that surrounded Jefferson before the season of whether or not he was ready to be the quarterback of the team, they only got louder after the game as the message boards and the chat rooms and the media started questioning whether or not he was the right man for the job. And someone asked Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman after the game in the press conference about all the noise surrounding his quarterback, and his response stopped me in my track. This is what he said. Well, there are a lot of opinions out there, but there's only one that really matters, and that's mine. And KJ is our quarterback. Whoa. What a comment. I'll never forget hearing that. Jefferson would eventually lead the Hogs to their best season in years. And now he returns for his senior year, and they've got more promise than, than ever before that they've had in, in a long time. But here's what we know about K.J. Jefferson or any quarterback or any coach or, you know, the first time they have a bad performance, right? The message boards are going to light up. Opinions are going to be out coming out of the woodworks because just like Coach Pittman says, everybody has opinions. Everybody's got opinions, and if you or I are not careful, we can begin to believe that we are what other people's opinions are of us. We can begin to believe that we are what they said about us, or we are what she said about us, or we are what he thinks about us. We can begin to get our identity wrapped up in other people's opinions of us, and this can be good. Right? If everybody's got a great opinion of you and everybody's cheerleading you and you're doing great, and it can be bad if everybody's criticizing you. And by the time we're finished today, what I hope you'll be able to own is the truth that only one opinion about you matters. It's not mine. It's not anybody else's. And I want you to own your real identity. Because I believe if you buy in to an identity based on people's opinions, it's a lie identity. 
And this was important to Jesus himself. And we're going we're gonna to tackle one of my favorite little almost hidden verses about Jesus dealing with people's opinions and uh, what, he had to, what we ha- he had to do. Now, opinions just kind of come with the territory for leaders. In the story that we're going to read about Jesus, we're going to see him kind of coming into a leadership position. We're going to see him growing in popularity at the time. He's becoming a leader, and leadership just invites opinions, and if you've ever been in leadership, you know this. The quarterback on the team, right, they get too much credit when the team wins and too much blame when the team loses. And if you're the head coach, that's the way it is. If you're the president, if you're a principal, an administrator, if you're a parent, your children have lots of opinions about you. If you're a pastor, if you're a boss, you're a CEO, you're a mayor, this is just part of the price of leadership. But it's not like leadership is the only arena that this is true. Every one of us have had people say things about us, have had people share their opinion of us that have shaped us, that have changed us. We have all had someone share an unfavorable opinion of us that we have had to deal with for years. I mean, there have been people, there have been instances of people who have shared an opinion about you and maybe to your face that have caused long-term emotional damage. Opinions are a big deal. So before we get into this story about Jesus in John chapter 2, I want to tackle some kind of three things that I think are true about opinions that are going to help prepare us for what this scripture is going to say to us. And so the first thing that I believe is true about opinions, when it comes to opinions, proximity impacts power. In other words, the closer someone is to you, the more power that opinion holds, right? The closer we are to in relationship to someone, the more that opinion packs a punch. The farther away they are, the less impact that it has on us. Proximity impacts power. Parents, your opinion that you sh- of your children is heavy. Your opinions that you share with your children carry tremendous weight. If someone we love says something negative about us versus someone that we don't know, those feel different, don't they? Because proximity impacts power. The closer we are, the harder it hits. The more powerful their comments are, depending on a relationship, good or bad. Those close to us can make us feel loved, can make us feel um, cared for, can make us feel wanted and valued. And sometimes when the outside world, when people you are not close to are sharing opinions of you, it is the people closest to you who share valuable opinions of you who provide a shelter for the outside opinions of the world. You probably had a situation like that at work before. We had a tough situation at work and everybody was sharing their opinions about you and criticizing you, but the people who loved you and cared for you most were sheltering you from the opinions of the outside. But on the other hand, some of the most damaging opinions can happen in the context of marriage and dating relationships. Or a parent who told us we weren't worth anything 
or a teacher or coach who told us that we'd never amount to anything or an ex who told us we were too ugly, too clingy, or too talkative, or too whatever. And you were so close, and it was a powerful opinion. Proximity impacts power. Proximity, the closer someone is to you, the more punch their opinion packs. It's just true. The other thing that's true about opinions is that volume impacts validity. In other words, the more people that share an opinion, the louder the opinion is, the more easy it is to believe that it's true. The louder the opinion is, the more people that share it, the more difficult time we have discerning over, wh over whether or not it's actually real. But just because, and you know this, you know this, you know this, just because a lot of people have an opinion doesn't make it a fact. Just because a lot of people have an opinion. But volume makes, gives opinions more validity. It feels that way. And social media has rewired this aspect of identity and reshaped our, our understanding. It's hurting our teenagers and our young people who are now beholden to the opinions of every person that comes across their TikTok or their Instagram. And the online crowd can gang up you, gang up on you about your appearance, your grammar. I mean, sometimes like the grammar police comes out, right? Or they can make you, your idea feel like it's a stupid idea. And they can make you, the online crowd can make you feel that small. And it feels so loud, right? It feels so loud, the volume of comments. There's comments and there's dislikes and there's just volume, volume, and volume, volume. And it feels so loud, but it was really just four or five trolls. And, and here's what, can I tell you something, young people? Can I tell you something, young people, that I know that you don't know because I grew up in a world without this thing. 30 years ago, you would not have cared what those four or five people thought. And this device in our pocket has convinced us that what those four or five people say should matter. Just be very, 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 very careful. And I love social media, and I love the internet. I love it. I love it. But sometimes the volume of it can give it some validity that, that it doesn't warrant. I love what John Acuff said. John Acuff is a great author and speaker. I've heard him speak very, uh, several times in Nashville. Um, it's, it's where he lives and out of. And he said this. I heard this. Criticism that costs nothing is worth nothing. In other words, if someone took 12 seconds, someone who doesn't know you took 12 seconds to type out a comment, and it didn't cost them anything, they might not have even shared their identity. Like they've got an avatar and a name that's like something, you know, no, you don't even know who they are. They didn't have to share who they were. It cost them nothing. So you should probably, it's worth nothing. You should probably spend about 12 seconds reading it and then forget it criticism that costs you something now that's a friend who has to share some hard news with you because they love you and they had to spend some relational capital with you well that's a different kind of criticism right that costs them something to do that to share that with you criticism that costs nothing is worth nothing so 
Just let it be worth nothing. Now, this can work. Here's the thing about opinions. This can work on the opposite direction, too. Like, we can receive affirmations. We could be so way off base, but the Internet, the online, can give us affirmations that make us feel like we're right or true. We can be way off base, but on the far right and the far left, or in making fun of someone else, you can get a lot of affirmation, likes, comments, and shares. But just because you get a lot of affirmation, likes, comments, and shares doesn't make your opinion true. Just because opinions are loud, it doesn't make them, it doesn't make them valid, but it feels that way. Right? It impacts how it feels. And the third thing that's true is this. Tone impacts touch. In other words, when it comes to opinions, um, you know this, like 30 people can tell you good job and one person can tell you terrible job. And how does, how does that one feel? Oh, it touches you a little different, right? <laughs> like you got like 30 pats on the back and you're like, great, and one dagger through the heart. That's why, I mean, even psychologists tell us that it takes like five positives to even outweigh, to balance out one negative. The tone of the opinion, it impacts how it touches us. And the, the negative opinions are pointier. They're pointier. They stick us. They, they hurt. We feel it differently. About 17 years ago, I was just a few months away from planting a church. I was super young, but super excited. And we had a sponsor church that was kind of be like our mother church. And together, we brought in some consultants from a, a really large church that back then, no churches were starting churches. This was a new thing. Churches didn't have campuses. And so there was, just, there, there was a lot, there was so much new to it. So we brought them in for this two-day kind of training as consultants to train our, our launch, my launch team that was going to help start the church, to, to help train our sponsor church and the leaders there about how to do this well, how to transition well, how they could support us, how we could honor them, how we could get off on the right foot. And we're just like giddy, super excited with it. We, we felt like we had a good weekend of training, and we're ready to hit the ground running on Monday morning and change the world for Jesus. And part of my job was to drive these two consultants back to the airport. We had an hour drive to the airport. And for the entire hour back to the airport, after this weekend in which we were so excited, this is what they told me over and over. We don't think you're ready for this. We don't think you have what it takes. And we think this church plant is going to fail. And I just remember coming home to Emily and just be like, you're I was stunned. You're not gonna, you're not gonna believe this. I, was, I had people in my sponsor church pat me on the back, like you're gonna do great, you're gonna be awesome. This is church is gonna be great. But man, I couldn't get those comments from those two consultants. The tone of those they cut different. Several years ago, I, I had 
uh, gone from gotten moved from one church to another, and it was kind of a step up, and it was a larger church than I had served before. And after a few months, I, I had a church member come and sit down with me and talk, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. And he said, I, "You know, I just think this church is too big for you, and you're in over your head." And you've had people say stuff like that to you. You've had people in your workplace, you've had people in your family say stuff to you, and here's, here's the, why, the tone of those comments and why it touches us differently. This is the question you start asking yourself. What if they're right? What if I don't have what it takes? What if this does fail? What if I am in over my head? What if they're right? I think I know, I think, you know, everybody else is, but maybe they're just like patting me on the back because that's my mom and daddy. And what if they're right? What if my mom and daddy are wrong and they're right? What if they're right? It cuts us when people say those things to us. The more negative the comment, the more pointed the touch is to us. So, Here's three questions to ask when it comes to criticism, and then we're going to look at this very small verse that's so unbelievable about how Jesus handled and dealt with other people's opinions. Here's three great questions to ask when you are criticized, when you get a negative opinion. Is it biblical? Is it biblical? Is what they're telling me, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, is what they are saying biblical? And if so, I better listen up. I better, if someone is saying, hey, I don't think you are aligning with God's word and you say you want to, I better listen up. And if you're not a Christ follower, if somebody's sharing this with you, you, you may not be sure where you're at there, but if someone's sharing that with you, it's maybe worth asking like, hey, why, why am I seeing things different than what the Bible says and what does that mean about what I think about the Bible and maybe what God wants for my life. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a really important question. Now, it's not the only question. You can't go, well, it's not even biblical, so I'm not going to pay attention to it because not every issue is a biblical issue. But that's a good first one to ask. It's the what. What are they saying? And is it biblical? I better pay attention. So the second one then, sometimes there are issues that are just outside of kind of faith or anything, is would you take their advice? Who is giving you this criticism? If it is a nobody in the middle of nowhere with a nothing avatar and a nothing name giving you an opinion online, would you take their advice? Then why take their criticism? But if this is someone who has integrity and character and is the kind of person that you're like, maybe I'd like to be like them one day, then why are they giving me, they're telling me something that I don't want to hear but is this the kind of person from whom I would take advice? And if the answer is yes, then I, I might better take this negative opinion too. I might better take this as well. And the third question is this, is, is it helpful? It is so easy when we get criticized to just get behind our Captain American shields. And just like, I'm just going to deflect the arrows because we just don't want to hear it. But it is perhaps someone who loves you, who wants something better for you. Young people, can I tell you something? I promise you when your parents are telling you something you don't want to hear, they are trying to help you. They are trying to help you because one day they realize very soon you are going to be out of their home. And if you make those kind of decisions out of their home, it's not going to end well. 
So good question for any of us to ask, young or old, is, is this helpful? Are they just being mean-spirited, or is this someone who is trying to help me who wants what's best for me? So Jesus had to deal with this. He was fully God, but also fully human. I mean, and if you think the internet is bad, imagine being able to read everyone's mind. And being able to tell everybody's opinion at once. Just imagine having to do that. In John chapter 2, if you want to open your Bibles to John 2, we're just going to look at this little, little three verses. If you're, on, if you're at home, it's great to be in your living room, or maybe you're taking a Labor Day trip, and we're grateful to be joining you wherever you are. you got your app open there or a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, take one at our bookcases when you leave. Um, there's this story of Jesus doing his first miracle in John 2. He turns water into wine at a wedding in a little bitty town called Cana in Galilee. It's just barely north of Nazareth. Uh, it's about 65, 66 miles north of Jerusalem. So it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of in the country, but this is the first time that Jesus sort of breaks onto the scene and word begins to spread. Y'all not going to believe what happened. I was at a wedding. I had a friend that was in the wedding. My cousin's best friend neighbor was at a wedding. That's how it spread back then. It's trickling all the way down to Jerusalem. And then John says after this miracle that Jesus goes to Jerusalem during the Passover festival. So this is a big time. And he goes into the temple and there are people who have set up shop to sell things in the temple. So he throws out everyone in the temple and causes a big scene and turns over tables and he has this whole thing. And so all of a sudden now, there is starting to be some chatter about Jesus. People are, people are talking about, who is this rabbi from Nazareth? He has turned water into wine, and he has walked in the temple like he owns the joint. And then John writes this in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people, many, saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Many people started having a good opinion about Jesus. Jerusalem had a population of about 25,000 people at the time. But during the Passover, and don't you love how it just says festival? And this was more than a holiday. This was a festival. Scholars believe as many as 150,000 extra people would descend on Jerusalem during Passover. They would, their population would be six times the size of normal during Passover. They would come a week before and set up tents and food. It was basically like Talladega, okay? I mean, just tailgating, just hanging out. It was selling stuff, craft fairs, the whole deal. This was a festival. And John, and John doesn't write how many people, but there's 150 to 175,000 people now in Jerusalem during this week, and they are seeing apparently Jesus is doing more signs. He is starting to do some more miracles, not just the water and the wine. People are being healed, and many people, many people are believing in him. They're having a good opinion 
about him. The volume was increasing. They were loud and saying good things. And listen to this next verse. Listen to this next verse. Now, this is not, they're not, they don't have bad opinions. They have good opinions about Jesus. But listen to this next verse of what John writes. And he is the only gospel writer that writes this little verse. And it is such a look into Jesus and how to handle opinions. Verse 24 says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. They were saying great things. Have y'all seen the rabbi from Nazareth? I mean, you should have seen what he did in the temple. He healed my cousin. He healed my sister. You're not going to believe what happened. I got a blind friend, and he brought and he healed him. You're not going. They're saying all kinds of great things, but it says Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And can I just tell you something? I don't think this is a Jesus superpower. I think you know all people. Do you know people? They're fickle. They love you one minute and they don't the next. Right? They're praising you to your face and talking about you behind your back. Has anyone else ever experienced this? Do you need to be Jesus to know this about people? He knew all people. And he knew, he knew that he could not entrust his identity to their opinions even when they are favorable because you know this, if you live, if you live for their compliments, you will die by their criticism. You know that, right? If you live for their compliments, you will die by their criticism. If you let their compliments go to your head, their criticism will go to your heart. Trust is a bedrock for relationships. We can't have relationships if we don't trust each other. We have to trust each other in marriage, trust each other in friendships, trust each other in our families. But there is a big difference. There is a monumental difference between trusting someone and entrusting your identity to someone. Jesus says, you, you can't, don't, he wouldn't entrust himself to them. Because even a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a parent is incapable of giving you your identity. My wife, Emily, she's awesome. She, she makes an incredible wife and mom. She makes a lousy God. And I'm an okay husband, but I'm a lousy God. No one can give you your identity on this earth. And I love how John closes this out. He says, he did not need, this is Jesus, any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. Now, the syntax of this sentence is a little weird, okay? It, it, uh, it's a little weird. The King James Version says it like this, 
and needed not that any should testify of man. That's not much better. It's kind of like a sentence that's a little weird in the way that it's written. But in the Greek, it has two words for man in it. The first one is like where it says any, or he did not need any testimony, or he should not need any. It's actually got, it could say any man. The word in Greek there is tis. It means one man or any man, kind of. And then this word for man right here in the Greek is anthropos. Where do, where do we get that for that? Anthropology, study of anthropology, which is kind of the study of humanity or the study of humankind. And so uh, anthropos is more like a global, like mankind, humankind, womankind, like the whole thing, like all of us. And so maybe a better way for us to maybe say this sentence is like, he didn't need to hear what one person had to say about people. He just didn't, he didn't care what a person's opinion was about people because he knew what was in all people. Jesus didn't need to hear that everyone was excited about his miracles because his identity wasn't, couldn't come from people. It wouldn't come from people because he didn't need to hear the opinions that people had about him because he knows what we're made of, and you know what people are made of. So why have you entrusted your identity to someone else's opinions? Why have you entrusted your identity, your sense of self-worth, your sense of value to someone's opinion? I have some sobering news for you. I have some sobering news for you. If people criticize Jesus, they're going to criticize you. They're going to criticize me. Jesus was perfect. And I don't know all of you personally, but I have a hunch you're not perfect. I know me pretty well, and I'm far from it. And so, if people had opinions about a perfect human, people are probably going to have opinions about imperfect ones. Do you need people's opinions to give you value, worth, and identity? I think Coach Pittman was on to something. The only opinion in all creation that counts is your creator's. The only opinion in all creation that counts is your creator's. And I know some of you carry the weight. Some of you young people, teenagers, listen up. College students. I know some of you carry the weight of what other people in school or in your classes are saying about you. I know some of you young people and grown people are carrying the weight of what a coach said about you, what a parent said about you. Some of you have been carrying it for decades. Some of you carry the weight of what an ex said about you. Some of you parents with children out of the home, you carry the weight of what an estranged child said about you as a person, as a human, as a parent. I want you to know something. The only opinion, the 
only opinion in all creation that counts is your creator's. And a few paragraphs later, John would tell us what God's opinion was of us. When he wrote down a quote from Jesus that's the most famous and quoted Bible verse in the entire scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we would not perish but have eternal life in him to anyone who believes in him. And the next verse is not as quoted as often, but it's just as good. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You want to know God's opinion about you. God sent his one and only son for you. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only son that you would believe in him and that you would not perish so that you could have eternal life in him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but to save you through Christ. That's his opinion of you. You were worth Jesus dying for. You are worth Jesus leaving the glory seat of heaven for the gory scene of the cross. You're worth it. You want to know God's opinion about you? You're worth it. So why? Why would you trust yourself? Trust your identity. Trust your sense of self-worth because someone has an opinion about you. When the only opinion in all creation that counts is your creator's. You want to know what God's opinion of is you. You just look at the cross. It's worth that. This series, we've been um, talking about all our identities and sometimes how our identity gets wrapped up in our past and sometimes our identity, we feel like we're defined by how we compare to others and sometimes how we feel like our identity is, is, is based on an image that the world is trying to put on us and today we've talked about how our identity is sometimes trapped in the opinions of others and we've been singing the song called gyra and maybe you thought like what in the world does that mean it comes from a hebrew word that's a name for god that abraham used in a place where the lord provided for him this is what it says in genesis 22 verse 14 so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Here's what it says in Hebrew, that Abraham called that place, Jehovah Jireh. Oh God, our provider. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And one of the things that we've been saying in this song is that it is not that God will provide some kind of material blessings. It is that God provides our sense of identity that I am enough because he is enough that I am loved because he has chosen to love me and here's what I would want to tell you just right now we're going to sing this song to close out this series and I want to open this up here for you to come and I, I want to just tell you 
If you have not asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, then you will be on a fruitless endeavor to try to find your identity because you have to have it in Jesus first. You have to have it in Jesus. And what that means is to come to him and say, I confess my sin. I repent of all the things I've done that I tried to make my own identity what I wanted, but I put it in you. And I believe that you died for me on the cross, that I was worth it, even though I am not worthy. And that your sin, your resurrection gives me victory over that sin and death. And the opportunity in, invitation I want to I invite you to today is let the Lord provide you with a new identity, a new heart, and a new start. This is important stuff. Maybe you did that a long time ago. But you have found your past, the images of the world, comparison. You have found opinions creeping up and kind of covering up that identity that you have in Christ. And today is a day to say, I'm, I'm ripping those off. Lord, would you provide for me, Jireh, Jehovah Jireh. Provide for me the identity that I can only find in you. You stand as I pray as we get ready to sing. Lord, thank you for providing us identity in Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now, Lord, who has chased identities in something else and has never made that decision to follow Jesus, Lord. First and foremost, God, my prayer would be that today would be the day that say, Lord, would you provide for me salvation? Would you provide for me a new identity as a son or daughter of God? In Jesus' name, amen.